January 14th, 2022. This morning's class and the classes throughout the week are dedicated in memory of Sam Katten, Shalomo Ben Sarah Alav HaShalom. We're in Masechet Sanhedrin and Memchet Amud Bet, 16 lines from the top. And we're really in the final sentences on this sugya, on this debate between Abaye and Rava, whether Hazmana Milta or Hazmana Lav Milta. And the whole sugya really began with one specific case. The question was, Ha'oreg Beged Lemet. If a person is weaving a garment with the intention of using it for a person who's already passed away. It's not that someone might pass away in that circumstance. Even Abaye, who was of the opinion that Hazmana, when you prepare something, when you designate it, Milta, it's sufficient, it's significant with regards to giving a status to the item just by the designation. Even Abaye agrees if the person has not yet passed away, if you're mehusar ma'aseh, if you're removed from the reality, in that circumstance has manalav milta. So the debate really, when it comes down to it, as the Gemara has made clear to us, as Rashi told us in the initial line, is only after death. After death in their initial, initial circumstance, question is if you're oreg, you weave that garment and you have in mind and you state that this is for the person who died, is it milta? Is it, is it significant? Or do you need to actually use it in order for it to become asur bahana'a? Says the Gemara in its concluding line, Amar le ravina le rava. Ravina is one of the last gener- is the last generation Emoraim, as is Abaye. Ravina, of course, we attribute Ravina and Ravashet to being the uh, editors of the Talmud. So here's really the final sentences on this matter. Ravina, the individual who's very involved in organizing these matters, turns to Rava who was one of the main players in this mahloket, and asks, asks, asked him, Mi'ika duhta deramu beh met ve'arge beged lamet? Mi'ika ha'im yesh? Is there duhta means a place? Is there really a place? Deramu beh met? That there's a dead person placed in front of them, is the understanding. Ve'arge beged lamet? And they're now beginning to weave a garment for them? In other words, and it's one of these fascinating situations, you have to point this one out whenever anyone asks that question in the future. Everyone always likes to ask, are they really debating this? Is this actually going to happen in many situations in Talmud? It's always the question. I have plenty to say about that in response, but here it is, Ravina's asking Ravada question. This whole debate, this whole back and forth between you and Abaye, it's all an intellectual exercise. Now he's not actually saying like that, but he's asking why is or is this in any way practical? Is there any place you know in this world, in this uh, universe, wherein a person passes away and only then they're starting to prepare the clothing and they're actually gonna stop and be oreg beged lamet, and if the answer is no, says Ravinat Rava, well then technically speaking, your, your conversation, your debate with Abaye, which began with this circumstance, is just less exciting. It's not that it's not still exciting. It's not that it doesn't have ramifications to tefillin and many other circumstances as we saw along the way. Anyway, but the response of Rava is Amar le'in. Says Rabbi, yeah, Ravina, come on, of course there is. Kigon, for example, Shachveh, Lishkov means to lie down, means to pass away for our purposes. De Harpanya, Harpanya is the name of a place. Rashi's interpretation to the name of this place, to this place is, this is a place of people who were poor, impoverished people, and as a result, they didn't have the money for 
any clothing in general, certainly not to prepare for after death. As a result, the person would pass away, says Rashi, and in order to get the, uh, the, the small amount of money for the uh, thin garment they were going to craft for this person, they're only then able to turn to the people and ask them for the money and in turn weave the garment, which means to say, in these impoverished uh, communities, you're going to have a circumstance where, yes, you are being oreg beged lamet le'ahar mita. Rabbeinu Hananel, of course, picking up on these, these words in the Gemara, doesn't touch on the impoverished state of being of the people over there. He suggests maybe just their practice in terms of burial was a bit different. Charles, we're cluing you out. Your, ta- your table's gone. Uh, they're, just, uh, they're just different. Uh, what, what do I mean by being different? Says Rabbeinu Hananel, maybe they're maline tamet longer, which means to say they leave the body, they don't immediately start dealing with the burial, they have a way or a method in which they leave the body a little bit longer. So in a place like Harpanya, whether poor or not, yes, this will be a real circumstance where we'll stop for a bit and let the, bo- let the uh, clothing be weaved then. So, so, you know, there's no supposed to or not supposed to. Uh, certainly in our community, but in general, people would be very nervous about doing so. But more than that, it's not per se that the, that the preparation should have done beforehand, according to my understanding. It's that you're going to have a garment for him. You're not going to have some garments that are around. And that's the question more than anything. You're going to stop now that he passed away and make a special garment for him after his death while he's... Ramu Be, he's lying in front of you, just doesn't make sense that that's going to be a reality. Less than it will already be prepared. That's right. You have, it exists. Exactly. And as a result, you're not dealing with it then. So, but again, that's what Nathan was suggesting. It's not necessarily prepared. It might be, it might not be. The point is, it's easy to access. You're not going to then be dealing with the construction, the weaving of the garment. Says the Gemara, what's the halakha ma'aseh? Well, we did say at the very end, it seems like a mahloke tanaim. That's what the Gemara concluded with. Ketanae was mahloke between not only Abaye and Rava, we bumped it up many generations. Time of the Mishnah, time of the Beraita. Says the Gemara, Darash Meremar. Meremar, one of the Emoraim, was Doresh Hilcheta Kavate de Abaye. The halakha follows Abaye. Now, you should know in general, in several places in Talmud, the Gemara says that halakha is like Rava in all circumstances when he disputes Abaye except for six. Ya'al Kegam is the acronym. Yod, Ayin, Lamed, Kof, Gimal, Mem. Each one of them being a different circumstance. This is not one of them. So, you know, Meremar's statement is not really accepted. Virabbanan Amre, the Hachamim disagreeing with Meremar said, Hilcheta Kavate Derava, the Halakha over here follows. As it generally does, aside from six cases, Rava vihilcheta, and the Gemara's concluding words are kavate de Rava. Hazmana is lav milta hilcheta. The halacha in turn follows Rava. That's the end of this sugya. I tried, I tried my hardest in the last three minutes to squeeze this in yesterday, but all right, had to finish it today. That's the halacha lemaase. Says the Gemara onward. Tanu rabbanan beraita haruge malchut nichsehen lamelech haruge betin nichsehen liyorshin. We're returning to the themes of our Mishnah, the initial discussion in the Gemara, and that was haruge betin. Of course, we're dealing with a person who's put to death by betin, executed by the the religious court, or in contrast 
contrast to harugem malchut. Malchut refers to the monarchy. We're referring to Jewish monarchy for our purposes at this moment. And there's a difference with regards to several things. What we touched on already was in terms of avelut, in terms of mourning the person who was put to death. If there was harugem betin, there's no avelut. There might be aninut, there's no avelut. If it's harugem malchut, there is avelut. But here's a different difference in the opposite direction. Harugem betin, if you put to get death because you transgressed one of the four, one, one of the sins for which you get the arba'at hiluk arba'at mitot betin the halacha is that your your um, your possessions go to uh, to your descendants to your yoshim means to say you're put to death by the court and then in, as in a regular death circumstance the relatives then inherit your estate. However Harugem Malchut, and here's the Hidush, if you put to death by the monarchy, explains Rashi, for example, you rebelled, you are a Mored Bamelech, and Halacha is a Mored Bamelech, the king puts you to death Rashi quotes from Pasuk at the beginning of Sefer Yehoshua, that you get put to death if you rebel against the Jewish king, the Am Yisrael king. In that circumstance, who inherits your possessions? The king, the monarchy themselves. Says the Beraita in its concluding line, Rabbi Uda disagrees. He says, if you put to death by the king because you rebelled or did something else which was deemed inappropriate and the king has that ability to judge you and put you to death in that circumstance, well, the halakha is that your estate, your possessions get inherited by your relatives just like a regular circumstance, just like a haruge betin. Amrule, continues the Gemara, and it says, Amrule Rabbi Uda, the hachamim, who maintained again that Haruge Malchut, which will be our theme for the duration of our class today, Haruge Malchut, Hachamim said, Nichsehen la Melech. Rabbi Uda disagreed, he said, La Yorshim. Right? It's the difference between who inherits the possessions of the person who's put to death by the king. So the Hachamim turned to Rabbi Uda and they try to prove their point that it goes to the king. There's going to be a little bit of history lessons over here today. Most of them basic, some of them a little bit more detailed. So here's how it goes. There was a king, a not good king, of Am Yisrael. His name was Ahav. He had a not good wife. Her name was Izevil. This is in the time of Eliyahu Hanavi. Now Ahav, in one of many, but one of his uh, terrible acts, uh, notices a vineyard next to his uh, hechal, next to his uh, mansion, his estate. And he very much likes that vineyard, but it's not his vineyard. It's a person whose name is Navot, Yisraeli. And he really wants that vineyard, and he goes and he tries to buy it from Navot. Navot loves his vineyard, doesn't want to sell it. Izevil, the wife of Ahav, understands it's a beautiful vineyard right here. It should be ours. We're going to seize it. If we can't get it by money, we'll get it by force. And what she does is she, uh, she gets Bene Biliyao, evil, wicked people, to testify against Navot. They come into the court of the time and they say Navot was rebellious against the king and against God. He blasphemed, he spoke wrongfully about the king and about God, and as a result, he needs to, put, to be put to death. And indeed, those false witnesses are accepted and Navot is put to death. Now, in the circumstance that that follows as a result of being put to death, well, there is Ahav enjoying himself in the vineyard of Navot. 
He killed Navot, he got Navot killed, he's enjoying himself, and Eliyahu now needs to go to go rebuke him. And he needs to tell him, you should know, your aftermath is not going to be all that wonderful. Your children are going to be devoured by the beasts of the field and the fowl of the skies of the heavens. I mean, you have a bad aftermath over here. God says to Eliyahu, go give him that message, I'll tell you where he is. He's in the Kerim of Navot. Remember, he wanted the vineyard, he's over there. What's he doing over there? He went there, le rishto. Now, he didn't go there just to seize it. The word on the pasuk is to inherit it. It makes it appear as if alpidin, according to halakha, uh, the king, ahav, is over there. Now, again, the testimony was that he rebelled against the king. And the pasuk says that he's in the vineyard to inherit it. It appears, say the hachamim, that if you're put to death by the malchut, haruge malchut, nichsehim, lamelech, why else is ahav there if not lirishto? It's a pretty good response. That's the proof. And one, what's that? But they put witnesses. They may have been false witnesses. They were accepted. So within our uh, this worldly domain and understanding, he was a rebellious one. We put him to death as a result of a Mored Bamelech. So now the Pasuk says Lirishto. It's true Eliyahu is going to go set the record straight, but ultimately speaking, what's he doing there? Lirishto. Says the Gemara, Amar Lahen. What but, 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 he, but he followed it over here. He, he circumvented it, but he followed it. He brought Navot to court. They testified against Navot. He was put to death, let's call it according to the Torah. Now, yes, it was with lies, but ultimately speaking, God turns to Eliyahu and says he's there, Lirishto. It shouldn't say Lirishto, it should say Lekahto, uh, uh, to take it. Or he's there, it. or to enjoy it, whatever it is. The fact that God's words to Eliyahu are, he's there to inherit it, make it clear. He's there to inherit it because based on the procedure, it's his to inherit. Amar Marlahen, Rabbi Huda, who needs to defend himself against the Chachamim. Rabbi Huda says, Haruge Malchut Nichsehen La Yorshim. He needs to explain. So, what's Ahav doing there? He says, Ben Ahi Aviv Haya, Verauil Le Yorsho Haya. Answers, uh, answers, that's right. Answers, Rabbi Huda, to the Chachamim. You should know that Ahav, the king, was the son of the, uh, was, was a cousin, was a first cousin, the father of Navot and the father of Ahav were brothers, and in turn, he was Ra'ui Liyorsho, he was going to inherit the vineyard. Say the Chachamim back to the Behuda, really? Vahalo harbe banim hayu, hayu lo. It's beautiful, he was the cousin, but the cousin is not first in line for inheritance. The sons are first in line for inheritance. And you should know, Navot had many sons. So I can't believe you that the reason he's there to inherit it is because he's actually a relative. Not so. He's a relative, but he wouldn't be inheriting it first in line. The sons would have been first in line. Rashi, in a beautiful and very humility-filled statement over here, says, I don't know how we determined that he had many sons. It's a fascinating statement. You have this in Perush Rashi Ala Torah. I remember being in elementary school and them pointing this out to us on several occasions that Rashi says, I don't know. Over here he writes it as well. He says, I don't know. I think he writes it in Aramaic over here. 
What's that? Lo yadana, right? I don't know. But the point is, he says, I don't know. Now, there's going to be a pasuk we're going to quote in just a moment, but we're going to skew the pasuk and say it doesn't need to be read as, as peshat. So basically, Rashi's claim is, okay, somehow they knew. He says, I don't know how they know. But anyway, the statement in turn is, uh, he had many sons, so to be who died. Your claim that the reason he's in the vineyard is because he's a relative... I don't think so. Amar Lahen answers Rabbi Yehuda to the Hachamim Otovet Banav Harag. Well, that's not true. He may have had many sons, but all the sons are dead, says Rabbi Yehuda. Why are they dead? Because Ahav didn't only kill Navot, he killed Navot and all of his sons. Shene'emar, im lo et deme Navot vet deme Banav Ra'iti. The Pasuk later on, this is with Elisha, has a statement that the blood of Navot and the blood of his sons I've seen. What do you mean the blood of his sons? Clearly, says Rabbi Uda, he had some sons. Can't tell you. Can't tell you. It must be the claim was they're all a rebellious family. Has to be so. The Rabbanan, even though it's not explicit in the text, that it's never explicit that they were killed. The Rabbanan, wait, so how did the Hachamim respond to that? Keep in mind, the Hachamim's claim, again, is the reason he's in the vineyard, this being Ahav, is because he's in line to take it because it was Harugem Malchut, and if you're killed by the king, the king gets to seize it. The Rabbi Udaza knows because he's a relative. Hachamim responded if it was a relative, but the sons go first. Rabbi Huda responded, the sons were already killed. I'll tell you how I know so, because Pasuk says they were killed. Rabbanan, how do you defend that? Rabbanan, hahu banim laset mimenu. Say the Hachamim, that Pasuk, when it says his sons, not that he actually had sons, it's that he would have had sons. So the claim against Ahav is you killed this man, and in turn, you killed all his future children that would have been born. That's their claim. I mean, to think like that is a godlike trait, to be able to state and to claim you not only killed that person, but you killed anything that came afterward. We, generally speaking, we look at the person and we say, that's who they are. We don't look much further. It reminds me of, and I, I, I like to cite this Teshubah because I don't believe that we need to think like this, but I think we should think more like this. Uh, Moshe Feinstein in his Igrot Moshe was asked, what's the status of a person who cheats on the regions? That's exactly what he says. So I hope nobody in the room cheated on the regions because I'm gonna you know, tell you Rav Moshe's very strong statement. So as Rav Moshe Feinstein says, number one, there's something called Geneva Da'at. Geneva Da'at means you mislead another person. Uh, Gemara talks about it in one or two places. It's on the level of Geneva, but he says, I think there's Geneva Mamon over here as well. You're stealing financially. How are you stealing financially? He says, you graduated high school and you had a regent's degree, that's a, a regent's thing that says you got a whatever grade. As a result, potentially, you were accepted to a higher level job or college or whatever it is afterwards, which in turn gave you more opportunities, which in turn, and so on and so forth, which means at the end of the day, you beat someone else. That's right. You have to smile as you hear it, and he's more than anything trying to talk to the yeshiva boys and say, stop cheating on the regents. But uh, such a perspective of thought, I love thinking like that. To have that scope and to say, you realize what you did right now? You didn't just cheat on this test. You cheated everything down till the end of the days. Again, I, I, I do think there's a little tongue-in-cheek in the Tishba more than anything saying, stop cheating on the regions, you know. But I think that sort of thought is sometimes appropriate in terms of giving us general and greater, broader perspective. That's the statement over here. Says the Gemara, Bishlam, Alemanda, Amar, Nikhsehen, Namelech, Hainu, Dikhtiv, Berach, Navot, Elohim, Vamed, 
Kedech. And so it says the Gemara, listen, here's how I can explain to you some matters. If you tell me that Nichsehin Lamelech, like the Hachamim's claim is, that Haruge Malchut, the Malchut gets the possessions, now I understand why when Izevil, the wife of Ahav, hired those false witnesses, the Bene Belial, and they testified, they didn't just testify that, uh, that uh, Navot had blasphemed God, rebelled against God. What did they say as well? He rebelled against the king. Why didn't he mention he rebelled against the king? Just say the regular circumstance. Say that he rebelled against God, he'll be put to death. Now the reason he said against the king was, this way he'll be able to get the possessions. Says the Gemara, Why would it need to be that he rebelled against the king? The false witness is saying, so of course you'll throw it back on the opposite opinion. Is that where you're going, Nathan? No. no. They killed his wife. Because if he has no kids, you go off the line. You go off the line. It's going to end up his wife before the king. Has to be. Has to be that there's no that there's no descendants here. That, that's what's clear over here in the Gemara. The Gemara continues and says, amich. Wait a second. So your claim is the reason the witness is needed to say and against the king is otherwise the king wouldn't be able to take possession of, again, the property, al-pidin. Wait a second. Your claim, Rabbi Huda, that the inheritors actually get it, get the possessions, amich. Elohim Lamali, or Elohim Lamali, we should say. Why did they need to testify uh, the king at, at all? Uh, do you follow? In other words, the claim against, excuse me, the claim to the Hachamim is, if you're telling me the whole testimony's purpose was so that the king will seize possession of, the, of, the, of those items, of, of, of the, the kerim, after the death, all the testimony needed to be was that he, t- that he spoke wrongly, that he rebelled against the king. As an extra word, either way you slice it. Why does it say that they testified that he was against the king and against God? If you're telling me that the inheritance is to the king, so it should have just said the king. You know, I mean, the inheritance is not to the king. That was never his mindset, and it should have been just against God. Says the Gemara, Ela, rather, you can't prove anything from this. It's le'afushe ritha. Le'afushe milashon nefesh, which we talked about a day or two ago. Nefesh literally means breath, but nefesh, as we mentioned by the burial plot, also means space, because you can breathe when there's space. La'afushe means to spread out. When you have that space, you're able to breathe easier. And as a result, over here, the word la'afushe means to spread. Rita l'urtoach means to become boiled. It means anger in this context. The point is, they didn't want to, these false witnesses sent by Izevil, just walk into court and say that he did one wrong thing. They wanted to say, this guy's a really bad guy. So they'll throw everything they can to get the judges already in the mindset of, we're going to put him to death. So it wasn't necessarily just a statement, if you spoke too practically and you just mentioned that he rebelled against the king, well, Charlie says the king was a rotten king. The witnesses, excuse me, the, the judges will be a little bit more easy to judge with leniency or whatever. Now that he's spoke against God and spoke against the king, the point is, La you, you just cursed God and you didn't mention Melech. Wouldn't the big team kill him in that We want to go further than that. The, the, point is that we, the point is, we're throwing in everything in, uh, we could in this context with these witnesses witnesses in a way that they're not going to be get, get caught for lying in order to really get the, the, the judges what's against. That, what's that? If they said that he 
Correct. If it was just Moret Negda Gadosh Baruch Hu, then it's Mitat Beti. At the very least, the suggestion, it's a good question, although it's, if, if the claim, ultimately speaking, is it's against the Melech and against God, so are you going to call this Harugim Betin or Harugim Malchut, the Gemara is assuming, although it's both, the king will get the possessions, because ultimately right, speaking, right. it was also Harugim Malchut, right. it was also Harugim Malchut, we're taking it away. Is the king. I, I, so understood. So you want to give it to the, to the, to the relatives? The point is, if you went against the king, Okay, when you've cursed God, we're allowing, we're allowing it for the family, for one reason or another. When you curse the king, we furthermore penalize. Wait on you to understand what severity you have over here. So that's the statement of the Gemara. That's the point. That's right. That he's dead, and he gets it. That's right, that's the suggestion of the Gemara. Bishlama le man de'ama nichsehen le melech, says the Gemara. Okay, let's go back to the mahlokit. Go ahead. Yes. I mean, you can't really do that unless you have a good reason for, you know, that's, that's corruption. You know, that's, that's real, real corruption. To try to stand strong, I mean, you know, even the most rotten people try to cover that. I guess. Anyway, says the Gemara that I mean, this is certain. I mean, what the Hachamim are saying here, even though they're reconstructing particular details in this case, this is Peshat and Pesukim. That's really what took place. Ezevel brought the witnesses. They really were trying to do this quote, you know, in, in a way that seems right. Says Gemara Bishlama. Bishlama means it's understood. Milashon Shalem or Shalom Bishlama If you're to argue that the king, the monarchy, gets the possessions like the Hachamim against the Buda, Hainu Dichti Vayanos Yoav Vayanos Yoav El Oel Hashem Vayah. Uh, the circumstance goes as follows. Yoav was the Sar Sava, was the general for David. It was generally speaking not so, you know, it was a good one, but uh, they, there were specific and, and particular junctures at the end of his life where he did the wrong thing and David was very against him. David tells his son Shilomo, you have to kill Yoav. He was Moret Bamelech. Uh, uh, among the things that he did wrong was he killed Avner. Avner was the was the other Sarsava, that of Shaul, who tried to come and make peace with Yoav. And instead of accepting the peace, and, and while pretending he would accept the peace, he ends up killing him. So Yoav wrongfully kills Avner. Furthermore, after the death of David, uh, the, the command is to appoint Shilomo as his heir to the uh, kingship. Uh, Yoav, against the word of the king, against David's will, is going to look to appoint Adoniah, someone else, a different one of the children. Well, that's also against the king. Anyway, David says to Shilomo before he dies several things. One of them is kill Yoav. Yoav learns about this. It's already in the days of Shilomo, and he runs into the Mishkan, and he's holding on to the Karnota Mizbeach, those horns, the corners of the Mizbeach. And as they enter in, who's they? Binayahu ben Yehoyada, his person who Shilomo uh, uh, sent to find and kill Yoav, enters in, says, Yoav, I'm not leaving. I am rather want to be killed right here. I want to be killed right here. Why does he want to be killed right here? Suggest the Gemara, if you're to tell me that the possessions of a Harugim Malchut go to the Malchut, well, Yoav does not want to be judged 
judged in this circumstance as a Mored Neged HaMelech. He'd rather be judged by the Sanhedrin, who's right there adjacent to the Mishkan, for another wrongdoing. He's a murderer or something along those lines, suggests Yad Ramah. And in turn, he'll be killed and his possessions will go to his estate, to his family. They'll be able to keep his possessions. In other words, the suggestion is the reason Yoav is there is only so that he's judged by Sanhedrin, not against Malchut, but rather as Harugeh Betin. If you're to tell me alternatively that both Harugeh Betin and even Harugeh Malchut, what's the difference for him? Nafik means to come out, live for him, mine from this. In other words, what did Yoav gain by demanding that he get killed in the Mishkan instead of getting killed outside of it? He wants to get killed in the Mishkan by the Sanhedrin. For what reason? Ultimately speaking, the possessions are going to go to his descendants. What's the difference whether he gets killed here or there? Rather, it must be, suggests the Gemara, that Chachamim have brought a sufficient evidence, a point of evidence for themselves, that Harugem Malchut Nichsehen Lamelech Yoav says, kill me. Don't take my possessions. Says the Gemara, I'd say not so. Rather, the reason that Yoav is doing so has nothing to do with his possessions, nothing to do with his descendants versus the king. It rather is just so he buys some time. He just hopes by the time Binayahu ben Yehoiada goes to consult with Shilomo and then returns, he gets a little bit more time in this world. He turns, he runs to the Mishkan, he puts on a funny scene so that Binayahu has to go back and consult with Shilomo. He's certain he's going to get killed. He does get killed, but he got, he bought a couple of hours maybe bought a couple of days as a result of putting on a funny circumstance and situation. That's all he gained. Nothing more and nothing less. You can't bring me proof and evidence from the strange act of Yoav that has anything to do with his inheritance. Okay, says the, says the Gemara onward, you should know we don't have proof one way or another from the Mahloket, Bihudan, Hachamim. But now that we're talking about this, so let's talk a little bit more about this. Now we're talking about that circumstance of Yoav. We're talking about the descendants of David. The, the bad situation between Shilomo and Yoav. Let's talk a little bit more about this. Vayashov binayahu el et ha-melech davar lemor kodiber Yoav ko'anani. The pasuk says that binayahu comes back to the king, Shilomo, and he says, this is what Yoav told me and here is how I responded. Now Rashi points out that it was just one short conversation over here. He walks in and Yoav says, don't kill me outside, kill me right here, I'm going to die over here. That's it. The pasuk seems to describe they had a longer, elaborate conversation. Ben Ayahu comes back, he tells the king, this is what I said, here's how he responded, here's how I responded. Uh, what, what happened over there? So this is a ripe opportunity for the Chachamim to reconstruct the circumstance. Do you understand what's happening over here? Sometimes in the Torah you have a gap you have something that tells you more went on and it doesn't tell you what went on. So the Hachamim, using a certain imaginative spirit that they had and understanding the context, inject details over there. So says the Gemara, well, what, what did he tell them? What must have happened? Either they have tradition on this or they're imagining it. Whatever they're doing, they're injecting over here details. It's a ripe opportunity to do so. 
Of course, one of my favorites for this is one of the first in the Torah, when the Torah says that Abraham is 75 years old when he has his first encounter with God. That's glaring deficiency, quote-unquote, in text. What happened the first 75 years of his life? And that's what the Hachamim look for hints later on, subtle hints, and reconstruct. He was thrown into a furnace, and he's running away from Nimrod, and so forth. In other words, they're picking up on something that's screaming at you. He's 75 years old. What happened the first? He's purposefully left out. What are we going to make of that? That's what happens over here along the same lines. So what happened? Amar le says the Gemara, here's what must have happened between Benayahu when he comes and finds Yoav in the Mishkan uh, before going back to Shalomo. Zil emale tarte la ta'avid or la ta'avid bahai gavra. What Yoav, say the rabbis, said to Benayahu, who's representing Shalomo, he says, zil, zil means go. Emale, say to him, say to Shalomo, tarte means to, la ta'avid you should not do to this person. Of course, he's speaking third person about himself. He says, don't do to me two things. Well, what's two things? Uh, David, in addition, as I mentioned very briefly, to telling his son Shilomo to kill Benayahu, has a harsh curse against Benayahu, against Yoav. He has a harsh curse. He's very angry at him, and he has a harsh curse, which we'll read, looks like, next week. But that has a harsh curse. Says, says Yoav in this situation, he says, here, please go back to your father and tell him, here's the option. Either he removes the curse that he placed upon me, that his father placed upon me, he accepts the responsibility of that curse, and then he kills me, or alternatively, he doesn't kill me, and the curse of his father, David, will stay on me. What sort of curse are we dealing with? Well, the Gemara will right now tell us, and just, well, let's just, let's, before we read it, the Gemara, well, the Gemara will, in just a few moments, cite for us the Pasuk. It was David talking about the descendants of Yoav. He says about the descendants of Yoav, they're going to be sick and ill and misora'im and zavim, and they're going to have limps and crippled circumstances and so forth. So that's a curse which he took very seriously upon himself, Yoav. Yoav says it's unfair. Either I get put to death as a mored bamelech, or I accept that curse. If I'm put to death, you accept the curse, Shilomo. Deal or no deal, says the Pasuk. Uh, 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 says the Pasuk, the king says to Benayahu, do as he said, upegabo, and go kill him, ukvarto, and bury him. Which means to say, in the eyes of the Hachamim, Shilomo accepts the curse upon himself. He says, you're going to die, Yoav, and I'll accept that curse. What curse are we dealing with? We're just going to read the Pasuk and we'll de- see the details next week. Amar Rav Yehuda, Rav. Rav Yehuda, in the name of Rav, stated, Kol kelalot shekilel David et Yoav nitkayemu bezar'o shel David. You should know all the curses of David to Yoav, ultimately speaking, did turn around and affect his descendants. Yoav is put to death. He shouldn't have, the Hachamim will state, very clearly cursed him as well. Inappropriate, it's kililat hinam. He's judged as and determined as Mored Bamelech. He doesn't deserve these curses as well. What were what was that curse? The curse was as follows. The Gemara cites the Pasuk Zav, there should never end cease from the household, the descendants of Yoav. Zav is a person who's afflicted with uh, emissions in, in a way he can't control. Umisora, we know Misora. Umahazik. 
Chiluk Baperech means a person who has to hold on to a cane because they have leg problems. They have difficulty walking. Vinofel Baperech means a person who's killed by sword. Vahasar Lechem means a person who doesn't have bread, who doesn't have food to put in their mouth. They're dependent upon others. That's the curse of David to Yoav prior to his death. Shilomo, in this moment, in the eyes of the Hachamim, accepts that curse in return for killing Yoav by Benayahu. And says the Gemara, I know, Bidoresh from Pesukim, the descendants of David, indeed, got all of those curses. They'll point out all the future kings. One had Mesor Sarat, and another one was Azav, and another one was Mahazik Tapedach, and so forth. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.